the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back, Dr. Casey, and thanks for being on the podcast again. I really appreciate your time and taking some time to talk with us. Last time we went over upper extremity fractures and pediatrics and management, and I just wanted to go through some common lower extremity fractures I've seen in clinic and kind of pick your brain on how you manage those. If we start at the pelvis, I don't really see pelvic ring or acetabular fractures in urgent care. I mean, they just don't come in. They go to the ED, I'm sure, but I don't see those. And it's kind of beyond the scope of what I'm trying to get to with this, but I do see physeal injuries of the pelvis. You know, I, very common in soccer players and avulsion of the iliac crest, you know, the AIIS. Can you please tell us your experience with that kind of stuff? How might they happen and how does the patient present and how do you manage it? You're right. Those are pretty common things that we see. And you hit the nail on the head with soccer players. It's pretty common, especially with soccer. But the reason we see these, and it's usually kids that are in their teenage years. So it's kind of end of growth where the the apophysis is a little bit weaker than the actual bone tendon junction. So we'll see a sprinter or a soccer player who's in the middle of their sport doing their thing. And then all of a sudden they don't get hit or anything. They're just by themselves and they'll feel a pop and then they can't really walk very well. And rarely do these require surgery, which is really nice, but we see them not infrequently and they can involve the ASIS, AIIS, the ischium, and even the lesser trochanter. So that's one to, to kind of separate out because in the adult teaching, you're always taught for adults, when you see a lesser trochanter avulsion, that that's you know badness, but it's it's not uncommon in kids. And fortunately, all of them are pretty rare to treat operatively, so we just treat them supportively. Usually, I just have them weight bear for comfort. If you think about, especially an AIIS, any kind of hip flexor or lesser trochanter, and you make them non-weight bearing, then they've got to hold their leg up, so that's almost worse. So I just tell them, here's some crutches. You can use them. You don't have to use them. You might want to use them as support, but still weight bear through the limb. It's really whatever is most comfortable for the child. Let's talk about femur fractures. I really don't get those that much in my clinic, but if I did get one, what should I do? Dial 911 and say, it stinks to be you, go to the ER, or, or what do I do with that? And then we had talked about this or touched on it some with some of the other things, but non-accidental trauma. How do you approach that? So femur fractures, if they come to your clinic, you definitely need to be thinking about non-accidental trauma because they probably are a little person. You're not going to see a, you know, a traumatic femur fracture, a fall off a bike with a diaphyseal femur fracture. That's not going to come to your clinic or my gosh, it should not. And if it does, you're right. You do call 911 or whatever. You just get them to the, you get them to the hospital. For the buckle type fractures, you'll see some of those. There'll be the supracondylars that are um, just a buckle, and so they aren't that painful. They're clearly sore, and they can't weight bear, but they aren't that painful, and usually those are going to be younger kids. They don't tend to be non-accidental trauma, but you, you certainly can see uh, buckle fractures. You can see any fracture in non-accidental trauma. I think the biggest red flag for non-accidental trauma is age. So anybody that's less than three, you really need to think about it. Under 12 months, 80% of fractures are non-accidental trauma. So under 12 months for me, that gets a trip to the ED. Like I don't even, if they haven't been to the ED for that particular fracture, I'm the first person that sees them and they're under 12 months. 
they get a trip to the ED because they have the resources with social work and those kinds of resources just to double check that it's not non-accidental traumas. One of the other things that I've noticed with non-accidental traumas is the story never makes sense. So it's never, I know exactly what happened. They really aren't very good at making things up. And even we see a lot, I won't say a lot, but one of the things that we see fractures in young kids is the parent is carrying the baby and they're walking down the stairs and the parent falls and they both fall. And when that's the story, I mean, you can tell, they tell that story and it's, and the baby has just come from the fall and they're all worried. And it's much more, the ones that don't know, I don't know what happened. Just all of a sudden fussy and this leg was swollen. That's the typical non-accidental trauma. But, but you have to always keep it in the back of your head. And if you have any concerns, um, for sure, it's just best to just send them to the ED and make the ED with the resources they have rule it out. Femur fractures in the office are not common. I put a couple spica casts on in the office. That's not all that fun. Uh-uh. No, uh, I, we have these workshops at our annual meeting and somebody used to do this workshop on hip spica casting. I'm thinking, I'm never going to do this. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want Not to. unless someone that knows more about it than I do has given me a hand. So not an easy thing. I get a lot of patients' complaints, tons of knee problems and peds. Don't really see proximal tibia fractures, but I do get patients from time to time with tibia tubercle avulsions or a fracture of the epiphysis of the tibia. How do they do the mechanism of injury and how do you approach management for that kind of injury? Yeah, I'm glad you asked about that one. I just literally finished fixing one about an hour ago. It's almost always a basketball player and they're muscular kids that aren't very flexible. They may or may not have had prodromal Osgood slaughters. Not everybody, but certainly some. Typically it's just either jumping or landing uh, that causes it. And again, they don't have to have any contact with anybody else, but sometimes they have extra weight on them. So they're landing and somebody else is kind of landing on them. And so they really contract that quad and pop that tubercle off. I think the key things about these tibial tubercle fractures really is the risk of compartment syndrome. So lots of education about the caretaker and to the child, him or herself, because I think that's the, that's the thing you don't want to miss. And there is an increased risk, and especially uh, to the, uh, you know, the anterior compartment is the one that's really at risk. So lots of education. Most of the time, it's very reasonable to just put them in a knee immobilizer and have them follow up as an outpatient. Um, this fracture that I fixed today actually presented yesterday to an ED to one of my partners. They put him in a knee immobilizer and just called me. And, and so I just set it up to do it today because the OR was available. But it can wait, you know, a day or two if it needs to. I think the main key is compartment syndrome education. And if you have some doubts about whether the patient has enough understanding about, you know, your education for compartment syndrome, or if you're worried about follow-up, then it's also reasonable to admit these watch them overnight. How long does it take to heal that after you repair it? Sometimes they are more than just bone. If it's just bone, like teller tendon is completely attached and it's just a bony repair. I put three screws in this. You will be healed in six weeks. And then I start rehab. And usually by three months, they're back playing basketball. But sometimes they manage to pull off the bone and they pull some of the tendon off of the bone. Um, not just Sharpie's fibers distal to the tubercle, but the actual patellar tendon off of the piece that you're fixing. And that requires kind of belt and suspenders. So I'll, I'll run a crack owl stitch up and down the patellar tendon, and then I'll put it through a bone tunnel distal to the tubercle. 
just to make sure that that stays. And then I'm a lot more cautious with my rehab for those because that's a little more precarious. And then I've had one kid where they pulled it off the patella and the tubercle and broke the tubercle. So you just have to be mindful that they can really destroy their extensor mechanism, not just see the one thing and be like, oh, it's just this. Just have to really check it out. Great information. I really appreciate your time coming on. Dr. Casey, thank you so much. Uh, Have a good rest of your day. Thank you, you too. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Please follow the Physician Assistance in Orthopedic Surgery on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review. I'm excited to tell our audience that Denver registration is now open for our 22nd annual meeting. This is our annual fall meeting and will be August 22nd through the 26th at the Sheridan Denver Downtown Hotel. Come and join us for some CME and get away for a little while in the Mile High City. Stop by the desk and say hello. I look forward to seeing you there.